Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you so much for pulling your chair up to the cool kids table. If you're a regular listener of this podcast, you know that almost five years ago, I started this podcast so that I could have access to some really cool entrepreneurs who were doing really cool things. Because anytime you feel like you're stuck in a rut, if you want to find your own way out, you got to get around smart people. And I, I don't know a lot, but I do know that success leaves clues. So if you can get access either directly or indirectly to some really smart people who are successful, they can't help it but to give you an idea, a theory, some information, a nugget, uh, something that's going to help inspire you and move forward. And that's why I started this show. And I think that for me personally, it has been some of the greatest education. I've now uh, interviewed over 400 entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, business leaders. And I know from those of you who are listening that uh, every now and then one episode, and you never know which one, is that one that just lights a fire under you. So thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do community. Uh, If you like the show, tell a friend. Almost everyone I ever meet who listens to the show regularly tells me they do so because they found it from somebody saying, hey, you should check out this podcast. Uh, Also, if you like the show, make sure that you've subscribed on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, because that's the way that shows get ranked. When shows get ranked, that's how they get found. So thank you so much for being a part of the show uh, community. So today, we are going to talk to a serial entrepreneur. This is his third startup that he's working on now. Uh, Before he started this company, he was actually the head of innovation at Northeastern University. And I actually met this guy right when he graduated from law school. And he started working as an associate in sort of a big law firm. So I don't talk about it all that often, but some of you may or may not know my background was for five years, I was the director of marketing for two Amlaw 100 law firms. Now, the Amlaw 100 is the 100 largest law firms in the United States. And I was the director of marketing for Austin and Dallas uh, for a firm called Brobeck, Flager & Harrison, which actually exploded in a fiery death uh, now about 15 years ago. And then I moved over with the lawyers who I worked for for another couple of two and a half years uh, to a Houston-based firm called Andrews Kurth. And uh, it was right after I had left Andrews Kurth that Nick Dukoff joined Andrews Kurth. I don't actually think we ever worked there at the same time, if my memory is correct. But the one thing I remember about him is this guy was driven. He was a go-getter. And somehow I knew that the law firm world was too small for him. I can remember running into him, the partner who he worked for had introduced me, and I thought, yeah, I don't know what it is, but this guy is destined for something else, not just to live his life inside a law firm. And a couple of years later, he took that entrepreneurial bug and, and went off on his own and, and to his first startup, and I don't think he's ever looked back. And I ran across him on LinkedIn the other day. His name just sort of popped up, and I thought, you know what? I've been meaning to reach out to him. He's moved off to Boston. I've been meaning to reach out and get him on this show for a long time. And what I like about him is I said, will you be on the podcast? And he said yes within like nine seconds. And two days later, here we are. So Nick Dukoff, uh, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you, Tom, for having me. And thanks for all the listeners. Oh, thank you. So you are now the co-founder and CEO of Edmit. And people can find that at edmit.me. But I don't read 
PR bios and things that your marketing people wrote. I was a marketing person. I know how much schmooze is in that. So I always ask the people who come on the show, why don't you tell us all about your company and a little bit of your background? Sure. Thanks. So Edmit helps families make smarter college financial decisions. So they borrow less debt and have better post-graduation earnings outcomes. I think that's what we all want for our kids who go to college and, and for all of those students out there. And so we're trying to make it a little easier for them. That, that's awesome. I have to jump in. The listeners know that uh, uh, not very long ago, just I'm trying to figure out when the show will air, but a month ago, my daughter graduated from Carnegie Mellon and I probably made all the wrong financial choices. I'll be paying that off for the rest of my life. Well, hopefully it's worth it. Carnegie Mellon's a great school. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's a great school. She has decided not to go big corporate, but kind of to just pursue her own path in the world. And, uh, she's engaged to a guy who's one of the smartest mathematicians on the planet and they're building a life. They're going to figure it out. That sounds good. So tell us a little bit more about the company. What led you to starting this? I mean, you don't have college age kids yet. What, what led you to that? No, I I have two young kids and my co-founder Sabrina has, has one young kid, but we were both university vice presidents in our prior lives and in our respective roles, we saw lots and lots of families who were just trying to figure out, how do I make sense of all this? How do I afford college? How do I make sure it's going to be worth it? How do I make sure that this is right for, for my children, my family, um, and, and our finances? And that's a really um, hard question to answer. And historically, there's been nobody really there for the families to help them answer that. If you think about it, most of the dialogue around college is about where you can get in. But we've spent the last year and a half building a company, helping families figure out what they can get out of college. So I will, I will say that that was something we thought a lot about. The, the answer was, you know, the, the University of Texas at Austin is a top 25 undergraduate, top 10 business program, and she wanted to major in business. And so we said, look, I know you want to go out of state. I know you want to go to some fancy private school. But uh, right here, you've got the best value in the country for a top tier college. And so the one thing that we looked at was, you know, we're not going to pay ridiculous prices for any school. You've got to be able to get into a school that that is, you know, sort of really phenomenal. It's not just a matter of getting in. It's, you know, there's a lot of private schools that are $50,000 a year that don't offer what maybe the school she went to offered as far as prestige. And so that was we, we at least did think about that before we made the decisions. That's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's all about ROI. And um, those data can be hard to, to come by. And so we try to make it really easy for families to have um, all of the information so they can make smarter college financial decisions. I mean, I think it's I think that's a great business. I think this is something that everybody's got to check out because we're about to go through it again. I have a, a high school senior now, so I've got another year till we go through this all over again. And uh, we know a lot more because we've been through it once. But the first time, we really had no idea. And, you know, to to the other part of the story is she did get an academic scholarship uh, that brought it down, not quite to where it would have been to go to a public school locally, but she had half of her tuition paid, which uh, certainly made it more uh, stomachable for a family that wasn't wealthy. Oh, that's so key. And, you know, one of the kind of secrets of our software is we help families figure out how much in financial aid and merit scholarships they can anticipate receiving from the school. Because as you know, if you just went through this, you don't really find that out until after you've applied and been accepted and received your financial aid letter. We approximate it through our algorithm, which we call our estimate, kind of modeled after Zillow's estimate, to figure out what is the true cost of college going to be for you? 
So I, like I said, I'm, I'm all excited. We're going to obviously go sign up and check this out for our next kid as we go, as we go into this, but you bring up a really interesting point is that you don't know how much, you know, financial aid or grants or even what I called the good loans, because there were loans that were like low interest that you could defer a lot and long time. And then there were loans that were like, not really so low interest that they'd give to anybody that, you know, aren't, aren't really great. And then there's, you know, using your your cash and there's using your home equity loan and all these different things you can do. But the fascinating thing was, is that if you earned sort of a, you know, a decent income, you really didn't get much when it came to any type of financial aid, even though you couldn't afford college because, you know, you were just living your life. It was fascinating to see, uh, you know, what the uh, college boards who, who rank a lot of this stuff actually ranked as upper class or, or wealthy. And it was like, yeah, I don't think they've recalculated those numbers since about 1978. No, it's true that the middle class and, and kind of upper middle class are definitely getting squeezed by colleges right now. That's right. I mean, it was it was it was a hell of a hell of a ride. But uh, like I said, she's happy and she's launching her life. So I don't know that I would change anything, but uh, I'm very interested in, in, in your product. So, Nick, what is it that led you to be an entrepreneur? As I said, I, I knew it when I first met you that you weren't your typical big law associate. But do you think this was something you always wanted to do? Were you surprised that you left law, fir- law firm world? Yeah, I, I've always kind of been an entrepreneur. I was the kid on the corner with a lemonade stand. I was selling kids um, candy at the bus stop. Um, I, you know, I was also involved in startups in college and, and in law school. And, and then, as you mentioned, at Andrews Kurth, I work with entrepreneurs and investors as a VC lawyer before actually starting my own first company um, in 2010. And now I'm on my third. So what do you love about the life of being an entrepreneur? I mean, you know, big law is about as corporate as you get. So you've seen both sides of it and, you know, not to diss any particular firm, but that was, you know, a pretty traditional law firm. What do you, uh, what, what do you love about the life of entrepreneurship? Um, I love being largely in control of my destiny and um, the opportunity for an asymmetric outcome. I actually loved being a lawyer too. And, and Andrew's curve was fabulous. I'm still, close with a lot of the folks there. I actually just ran into Carmelo in New York a couple weeks ago and, and Matt Lyons, one of the partners there is an investor in, in my current business. Oh, that's awesome. But, so so I got to give a plug. I, I probably wouldn't have the career I have today if it wasn't for Matt and Carmelo. They, uh, number one, they, they hired me in to be their marketing person when I, I sort of didn't fit the box of what they thought they wanted for a marketing person. Uh, they knew me, they were my clients and they said, you know what, let's, let's take a, take a ride at, at this. And I always joke that they gave me a lot of rope and I never hung myself. And, and we had a good almost five year run together. And, uh, but the other thing was, is when I first started at the first firm with them, they actually, uh, along with Steve Zeger, who was the managing partner of the Brobeck office in Austin said, look, you're a pretty good presenter and you're really well connected in town. We want you to write a class for lawyers on how to do business development, how to network, and why they need to like treat people, you know, in a certain way. And I literally thought, oh my God, they're that the lawyers are going to revolt. They're going to. They made it mandatory. The, the the managing partner and with Carmelo and Matt behind them made it mandatory for all associates. And there were like seventy associates in the Austin office. And I thought they're going to hate this. And at the end of the presentation, one of the other partners raised his hand and said. I have a complaint. And I remember looking at him like I didn't know him all that well, like I knew Matt and Carmelo. I looked at him like, oh, my God, in front of everybody, in front of the whole firm, 
We're going to say what we just hated about the last 90 minutes. And I'm like, okay, Ronnie, go ahead. And he said, this might be the best non-legal training I've ever been to in 15 years as a lawyer. And he goes, this shouldn't have been one class. This should be quarterly. You're teaching business skills to the people in this firm. And then he looked around and goes, if you work in the business section, this is what's going to happen. Every quarter, he's doing some sort of a training, and you're all going to come. And the other departments all said, our associates too. And so I started actually training the lawyers. They started sending me around the country to do this class on how to network and how to, to sort of show up in the community for the lawyers all over the firm. And that led to then some of the lawyers saying, hey, I have a client who's having a user's conference. You'd be really good to speak there, and I'm on their board. And they would give me to these companies to be like their speaker at their sales meeting or their company meeting. And that's what led me to my career today as a speaker and trainer in, in corporations and associations. So if it wasn't for Matt and Carmelo, I, I wouldn't be here today with this podcast and the career that I have. So that was a long story to jump in on, but I, I had to take advantage of, of plugging them because they were very good to me. I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for them as well. So thanks for the opportunity, Matt and Carmelo. <laughs> so, is, um, so is there anything about entrepreneurship you don't like? Are there any days when you think I'd be a partner at AK now? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I do. I do think about that. In, in fact, that thought is pretty motivating. You know, on the one hand, I, I love being an entrepreneur. And on the other hand, being a partner at a law firm isn't so bad. Um, and the question I think you asked specifically was, what do you not like as much about being an entrepreneur? And I think, um, you know, the short term financial discomfort is hard, um, especially with a family of four, you know, living in the greater Boston area, which is fairly expensive. Um, you know, we're definitely making sacrifices. But um, you know, that's something that my wife and I have agreed to and, and we think it'll all be worth it. And, um, you know, sometimes you have to make sacrifices to pursue your dreams. So what advice do you have for somebody who's listening to this and they're sort of biting their lip going, oh my God, I, w- I want to do what Nick did. I, I want to, I want to take a leap and, and, and go pursue something like this. What advice would you have for them? Yeah, I'd say just go do it. You know, what's the worst that can happen? You forgo a couple years of income. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's pretty easy to bounce back from when you think about the cost of college in many cases can be a hundred thousand dollars or more. Um, you know, if you're forgoing a, a year or two of income, it's, it's, it's roughly equivalent. Um, and you learn so much starting a company, you learn so much about yourself, you learn so much about the industry, you learn so much about, um, how to build a business and, and how to become self-sufficient and, and, and how to, serve customers and, and all those great things. And so even if it doesn't work out, those are really portable lessons to uh, another job. And in fact, probably an even better one than the one you had before. So I say, go for it, jump off the cliff. So I agree. And I, I mentor a couple of young gentlemen, they're both 29, 30 years old. And one of the things, whenever they come to me with a business you know, problem. They might switch jobs or they're, they're, you know, they might switch departments in their company. And for some reason, they've, they've been part of my life for six years. And I, I don't know why they stick around and they keep calling. But the, the one thing I always say is I, I ask them, I go, what am I going to say? And they're going to go, what's the worst case scenario? And I always ask them as they're nervous about, you know, making the leap of whatever they've done is I say, what's the worst thing that happens? And the, the one guy said, the worst thing that happens is I get fired. And I said, okay, great. What happens if you get fired? He goes, what could take me a year or two to find another job in this industry? And I'm like, okay, do you know how to wait tables? And he said, yeah. And I said, okay, so the worst thing that happens, and he doesn't have a lot of debt and all this. I'm like, the worst thing that happens is you get a job to cover your rent. 
while you're trying to get back into a good job. And you think you could do that within two years. And he said, yes. And I said, then what's the worst thing that happens? And we spelled it out. It wasn't disastrous. I mean, it wasn't going to be fun. But in the end, he took the leap and he didn't get fired. And it actually worked out to be a great thing. And he said to me, he goes, how, do you, how did you know? I go, I didn't know. But once we determined the worst case, it wasn't horrible. When he first said, I, I could get fired, it was like the world would fall apart. So do you subscribe to this, you know, look at the worst case. And if it's not death, then maybe you jump. Absolutely. So, Nick, I do a program for companies that I call the Paradox of Potential, and it's all about this gap that exists, and I've interviewed hundreds of people about this, between potential and performance. And I know that you've seen this because you've worked with a lot of companies as a lawyer, and as you know, sort of a serial entrepreneur, you have a lot of friends who are in this boat. A lot of individuals, teams, and companies, they've got potential. I mean, we look at them and go, wow. And then they don't get very far across that gap from potential to results. And yet other people fly across. What do you think the difference is? What's the delta why some people with potential go farther and other people are just lost in the abyss, even though they had potential? That's a great question. I think it comes down to three things. One is constantly, rigorously evaluating the business. So, you know, really getting deep in the analytics. Um, If the business is new or if it's just a business idea, making sure you're really doing the market research to understand that it's a good idea. Um, The second thing I would say is make sure you're constantly building momentum. Um, um, Stagnation is, is the death of, of, of young companies. You have to constantly be growing. Um, It doesn't have to be on a venture scale J curve necessarily, but you want to make sure you're constantly, you know, kind of grabbing those wins Um, And then the third thing is just surrounding yourself with smart, motivated people that share your vision and can help you realize the full potential of the opportunity because you can't do anything by yourself. I think those are, I mean, all three of those are actually super pieces of advice. I want to kind of delve into them a little bit because these are things that come up, but you've put them together in a really nice package. So number one is, you know, no, essentially I'm going to paraphrase you know your numbers, right? I mean, it's important that you're paying attention to the little details. So where do people get in trouble with that? Um, they're, they, they're, um, they spend too much. Um, they run out of cash too quickly. Um, they aren't really tuning into which part of the funnel is working for them, whether it's, um, awareness acquisition, um, uh, you know, revenue retention, referral, the kind of our funnel. Um, and then, you know, once things start working, they don't understand the unit economics well enough. And so, you know, may not be profitable or, be able to find a path towards profitability. The second one you talked about was momentum. This is one that I see. I'm just a solopreneur. I work for myself, but I see it all the time. When, when I get like three referrals or I close three deals to go to three different companies and be able to speak, it seems like the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh just seem to come along. But if I have a month where it's like the break gets pulled for one reason or another and I don't actually sell anything, it feels like it feels like I'm pushing a rock up the hill for like the next six or seven weeks. And so what do you think it is about momentum? Sometimes I think it's like it's like this weird force that I can't really say, you know, it's a thing. What, what do you think it is about momentum that leads people to to actually be able to keep moving forward where the reality is, you know, if I lose a sale, I have just as much chance of getting the next one. But for some reason, there's something in that momentum. Why do you think the where do you think the reality lies with that? 
Yeah, I think with startups and, and young companies, um, you know, it's really, you feel like you're part of a team. Um, and the momentum helps motivate people by making that team feel like even if they're not um, you're winning that day, that they're winning that week, that they're winning that month, that they're, you know, on a winning, on a winning team and people want to be on a winning team. And at a startup that can be really hard, especially when um, in the early stages, you don't have a lot of results yet to speak of. And so you got to find little ways to get those wins that may be a small, you know, kind of mention in the press that may be, like you said, a couple customer wins that may be, um, you know, a great partner meeting that has the potential to really develop into something meaningful for the business. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be all of those things, but any of those and, and in uh, enough at enough frequency that you feel like things are moving forward um, even better if, if things are actually moving forward and, you know, you're, you're building your revenue and you're building towards profitability and, and really having a meaningful impact in the market. But um, it, it isn't always a straight line. So the last one you brought up was was people. So the 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 research that I've done on this whole gap between potential and performance, I, I say the answers loosely all fall into three buckets, and that is your plans, your passion, and people. And plans is really your your goals, knowing what you're trying to accomplish, being clear of where you're headed. Passion, I always have found in in talking to people like yourself and others. If you don't love the business that you're in. Get in a different business because very rarely do people fly across that gap in something that they aren't jazzed about. And then the third bucket, which really should be a barrel. I mean, it's it comes up time and time again when I interview people. It's what I started off teaching people was how do you connect with humans in this gadget crazy world? It's people. And so what do you think it is that entrepreneurs, especially maybe in the startup world, where do people make mistakes by discrediting people or not? making networking important enough or building relationships important enough? Where, where do people fall into trouble? So I'll answer the question a little bit differently. I, we uh, have five shared values that we look for and we evaluate in every new person on the team. And it's something that we're constantly measuring um, in one another. And, and we use the language um, with one another to, to, um, make sure that we're constantly moving in the right direction. And so those five things for us are entrepreneurial, truth seeker, customer centric, efficient, and world-class. And so for us, what that means is that those things we need to have in every single person on the team. And at the same time, we really value diversity. And so aside from those five values, we want folks on our team to be as different as possible. We want them to have different skill sets, come from different backgrounds, have different perspectives. But having that kind of shared um, understanding of what we value at the company, we find to, to really make conversations um, productive, to make um, the team gel quickly. Um, I liken it to kind of a pizza crust. Um, you know, you gotta have the crust before you can add all the other toppings. <laughs> I like that. I like that. So, Nick, I've got a couple more questions for you before I let you go. But first, I got to thank the sponsor of this episode. So, this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you're going to sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, 
and interviewing really cool people like Nick Dukoff. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So Nick, I call this show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. What is the coolest thing you're doing with your business right now? Well, we're about to release a really cool new college list building tool that will help um, families build what we call a financially sound college list. So historically, college list building has been designed around getting into college, you know, the whole uh, reach um, likely and safety. Um, And we have redesigned that to affordability and value. So really making sure that families can see and apply to and understand the ROI of the colleges on their list and make sure that they have colleges they can both afford or great values and are going to have great experiences at. That, that's cool. Like I said, I'm, I'm going to jump over later today and figure out uh, you know, how to play with the tool because I definitely think this is something as we go into senior year, this is something I want to do a better job of this time around. So I think that does sound very cool. So, so, Tom, what I'd say is if you or any of your listeners want to beta test some of these new features, so that's not released yet, but we're always looking for folks who want to get an early look and give us feedback. Yep. You, you can just shoot me an email at nick at edmit.me, and I'd love for you or any of your listeners to, to, to get an early look at, at what we're building. I got to tell you, if you've got high school students and you just heard him say that, I would act now. Send that email to nick at edmit.me. And uh, and find out. I know I'm going to do it because uh, I've been through this once and, you know, the, we had graduation day in May and I felt like a 125 pound weight was lifted off of me uh, because there's a lot of responsibility as a parent that you just don't know that goes with this whole process of college. It's a lot different than when I went through it, you know, 30 plus years ago. So, Nick, I ask everybody who comes on the show kind of their view of, of who they admire. Because we could talk about you and your company all day long. You're doing amazing stuff. Like I said, I've always been impressed with you. We could make this a two-hour interview. However, I think great entrepreneurs are observers. So I love to ask the people who come on this show, when you look out into the entrepreneur sphere, who do you admire? Well, I'm a big fan of David Cancel. He's the founder of Drift. He was previously at HubSpot. Mm-hmm. Um, and Drift is the chat tool that we use to communicate with our customers on our website. We were one of their first customers and they've grown incredibly fast Um, and they've added awesome new features to their product. But the thing that they've done that I really, really admire is while they've added new features, they've kept it really, really easy to use. And that's something that we think about all the time because what we're dealing with college financial advising is complicated. Mm -hmm. And so just like David and his software drift, we're constantly trying to find ways to make it simpler, but more powerful. And that's something that Drift has done incredibly well that I admire. I think that's great. And the last question I ask everybody is, what do you do to sort of serve others, to give back to that greater good? And you know, I always tell people, it doesn't have to be money. Sometimes it's time. Sometimes it's good vibes. But I think as entrepreneurs, we're fortunate. I mean, we get to do, like you said, we get to build a lifestyle that we're in control of. But I believe if you're fortunate, you also have responsibility. And so I love to ask people sort of what they do. How do they, how do they touch the greater good? Because it's so awesome, the different stories that we hear. So, so what's, what's your take? Sure. Well, I've been in higher education since moving to Boston from Austin in 2012. And I spent over three and a half years in nonprofit higher education as vice president at Northeastern University, where 
programs that we built have now served over 10,000 students and helped them get more relevant training and, and better employment outcomes. And I'm pretty proud of that. And, you know, at Edmit, the scale is bigger. We've now reached over 300,000 people, but the impact isn't yet clear given the long time periods needed to evaluate the ROI of education. But, um, you know, I've committed myself to education and, and helping families with these with these challenges. And um, it would certainly be easier to go do, you know, some kind of SaaS software company. But, um, you know, I've been really fortunate to be able to dedicate my career to higher education and helping families um, get the most out of that. I think that's that's an awesome place to be to be living, and I think it's an important place to be, especially with what's going on in our society and all that right now. So, thank you. Hey, Nick, if someone's listening to this and they think I got to know more about this guy, is the best way to reach you at admit.me or at nick at admit.me? How do they find you? Yep, those are great ways. www.admit.me or nick at admit.me. You can just email me. I'm also on Twitter at nick dukoff d u c o f f, and I'd love to hear from you. That is awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your journey. Uh, I like it when people who had crossed my paths a decade ago come up and end up as guests here on the show. Uh, I think what you're doing is fab- fabulous stuff, and, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad to know you. So, Nick, thanks for being here on the show. Thanks, Tom, for having me. Hey, and thanks to everybody who tuned in. I say it every time. If it wasn't for the audience, pff, we wouldn't have a show. If you like the show, jump over to iTunes, leave a review, send me an email, Tom, T-H-O-M, at TomSinger.com, or you can find me on all the social medias. T-H-O-M-S-I-N-G-E-R. Let me know what you think about the show. Let me know how you found the show. And then as I said when we started, go tell a friend. So I'm going to challenge you. Come back. Listen to the next interview that we'll have in just a couple of days. But in the meantime, go out there and do something great. Try new things. In fact, you can buy one of the Try New Things shirts at trynewthings.shop. But while you're trying new things, have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.